I'm going to share for them scripture for a few minutes, and then we're going to enter into prayer. After that, we'll have communion. Um, we'll do something a little different today. Um, we, we tend to break into groups for prayer, and uh, if you're a college student, I'm going to have you stand and pick one of these old folks. Um, they get rigid and set in their ways, and sometimes if you ask them to go find a student, it's just not going to happen. So, they're, uh, it's you know, when as you get older, you get stiffer, and unless you're really flexing, it's just not going to happen or stretching. And so, if you would help them out, uh, it'd be good. Going to pay for that one, I guess, but it's worth it. Let's go to John chapter 4 today. Remember last week, Jesus had Nicodemus come visit him, and Jesus makes this declaration, unless a person is born of the Spirit or born again, uh, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. And that kind of twists Nicodemus' tail, so to speak, where he, how, how can that happen? And Jesus goes, well, you're Israel's teacher. You ought to know. Uh, this time around, there's another encounter. And uh, again, it, it brings some things out that are crucial to this. I've noted earlier that in John's gospel, John is called John the Beloved. He may have been the apostle John. But in that, this guy uses some writing devices that kind of speak to a, a genius about who he is. And so he's selecting seven miracles, and he's using seven I am's, and he's using different testimonies or witnesses or declarations of people's story so that you and I can say, oh, there was something unusual about Jesus. So his, his selection of stories are not random, but in this particular one, it appears almost like a random event because Jesus has been at Jerusalem for the Passover. He's gaining in popularity. His disciples are baptizing a batch of people, and it appears that he's going, it's not time yet, and he's not just about popularity, so he heads back toward Galilee. And to get there, he's got to pass through Samaria. And there's some history with that region that uh, it's important to note. Hundreds of years previous, almost a thousand, the kingdom had split after Solomon. When his son took over, um, he, he did some bad things. He, he wanted to tax the people beyond what they were capable of bearing. And the kingdom split in two. And there's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and one has Jerusalem, and the littler portion keeps Jerusalem, and that's kind of like the original kingdom. And this large group heads off. Well, they end up, their kings are kind of shrewd, and they develop a different worship center because they can't have people running back to Jerusalem all the time or the kingdoms are going to come back together. So they, they form a different worship center. They, they end up heading off into pagan worship faster than the other group. 
And they're eventually conquered by the Syrians, and they, the Syrians haul a batch of people off, but then the poor people of the land and others stay, but they end up intermarrying with the people that the Assyrians tried to bring in to just blend things in a measure that they'll never remember their history. Out of that are the group that we call the Samaritans. So they have this history, but it's, it's a history where the pure Jews are going, uh, we don't want anything to do with you. You need to come back. You, don't, you need to separate yourself. There is nothing about what you're doing that we see as good. So that's the, the country that they're traveling through. And they, um, Jesus and his disciples stop at a well. The disciples go into town to eat, or to get food, excuse me. And uh, while he's there, a woman comes out to, to get water. And it's at noon, and uh, there's a couple things to note in this. Um, it's unusual for him to talk to a woman. It's unusual for him to talk to a Samaritan. And for him to ask for water, the Jews are going, we don't even want to touch anything to do with you. We don't want to touch anything you've touched. We don't want to pollute ourselves. So for him to ask for a drink of water from a woman, that's a Samaritan, Jesus is stretching and even beyond that, it, it's already said that he's tired. He could have easily excused and just said, you know, I, I don't want to waste the, the, the energy. There are more important people to deal with. There are more important people to invest in. And yet, this is part of the amazingness of the story. And, and the woman calls him out and says, you're a Jew. Why are you talking to me, a Samaritan? And Jesus says, if you had known the gift of God, you would have asked him for living water. And in that, Jesus is making a declaration about himself. He's saying, I'm God's gift to the earth. You know, we've already noted that God's the love of the world that he gave his only begotten son. We noted that in Nicodemus' story. But now Jesus is making this declaration and saying, I'm the gift that God's giving. I'm the one who's going to help set things straight. And then he talks about living water. And, uh, of course, the woman goes, you don't have a, a bucket or a vessel. You don't have, how are you going to get water? And then, uh, you know, she's gone, uh, we have this well at least. And it was given to us, and she indicates the history that they're a blended people. You know, this was Jacob's well. This, this precedes the kingdom split. And he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks some of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. And I will give him what will become a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. How many have been out to Beaver Grove and seen the artesian well out there? <laughs> Well-known well thing in our area, right? No, all three of you. Thank you. In Beaver Grove, which is south of town, <laughs> if you stop at Castle's Corner, that little grocery store there, 
If you look off and down just a bit, there's a pipe sticking on the ground and water's flowing out of it constantly. And a lot of people go there to get their, wa- their drinking water just because it's pretty unusual. It's springing out on its own. There's no well that they've had to drill. There's no digging down and, and going. In some ways, Jesus is making a declaration similar to saying, when you have the gift of God in you, something comes out. It isn't just this hard fight of getting through the dryness and hoping to get a drop that will sustain you for life. But he's saying something begins to live that comes out in a way that is amazing. It starts to get into every facet of life. It's just bubbling out. My mother was a very godly woman and um, had served the Lord devoutly for many, many years. And in her 70s, she began to say, God, I don't have that bubbling of water out of my life. You know, she had been very disciplined. That was a, a dynamic of her life that was incredible. And I have memories of every morning when I'd get up, she'd be in her Bible. And if I got up early, she'd say, go back to bed. I'm not done yet. It's like, don't bother me. This is, this is my regimen, and I, I'm going to, to follow this through. And she was uh, faithful in serving others. I mean, they were very noble, but she's going... I am not experiencing that water coming out. And she'd been seeking God that way for many, many months. And she ended up going to a series of meetings, and each night God put his finger on something in her life that needed healing. And that very last night, she, you know, she's still going, I have yet to receive this. And the person praying over says, and out of your inmost being shall flow rivers of living water. And for her, that was significant because it had been her prayer for months. And how would that person know that except God was beginning to say, you know, this has been your thirst. This has been your desire. I'm going to fulfill that. And I, I guess the challenge even as we walk through this is saying, Is my life participant in springs of living water? Or is my Christianity more like that well where I've got to struggle and strive just to to get a drop? And I get just enough to get me through the day. Not the artesian that's blown out water that just gets on downstream because there's more than what can, can be contained in that moment. So... Again, with Jesus making this declaration, he's, he's opening something up and saying, there's an opportunity in life here. There's opportunity for a gift that goes beyond the normal. And this lady goes, I want that. And then <laughs> Jesus starts doing things that you kind of go on, He's not just about the happy experience, but he knows that there's got to be some things dealt with. And he tells her, go get your husband. 
And she's going, uh, yeah, about that. Uh, I, I, I don't have a husband. Well, yeah, you've had five, but the guy you're living with isn't your husband now. So she, he, he, he nails this moment of her life. And it's like it's exposed. It's out there. And what are you going to do? Um, she, she steps back a minute, and she goes, well, it's obvious you're a prophet. And she turns the conversation religious. What's the right mountain to worship on? Where's, where's the right place to worship? In other words, you got a little personal, Jesus. Now let's go back to the scripture and let's talk things that we don't have to deal with personally. And Jesus, uh, he doesn't evade the issue and he doesn't step away from truth. But he goes and he says, there's coming a time when it isn't about Jerusalem and it isn't about this mountain, but it's something even bigger. So he's, he is taking her shot and he's turning it and he's going, there's more to this than what you think. And it's not just this physical setting. He says, now salvation is from the Jews. He's very clear about that. So he's not saying, oh, you just worship as you will and it'll be okay. No, he's saying there is a specific way to participate in salvation. He's not saying that you can just pick anything you want and it'll be okay. You know, act devout, act religious, you know, grab whatever's pleasing to you and that'll be fine. No, Jesus isn't saying that. He is very specifically saying salvation has come through the Jews. He's saying this history and all the prophets and what's been pointing toward, he says, this is truth. This is where it's at. But he, he goes on, he says, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. This is so crucial to what we hang on to. We embrace truth, we seek truth, we, we want things to, to line up, so to speak, and, and to walk in you know, consistency. We want to acknowledge what the, the prophets have spoken and, and say, there's a power here beyond us. But then he's also saying there is an opportunity for new life within us that is different than just the reasoning and just the, the head that says, yeah, I believe in God. But when he's talking about the living water and he's talking about something, he's saying there is a birth of the Spirit. This is the same thing that he was addressing with Nicodemus. So it's a very important question even in our own lives. Am I making just a, a mental assent that there is a God? Of course, you remember, even the demons believe in shudder. Or am I taking this and allowing him to develop something of new life within me? God is spirit. And the people who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
So it's one thing to come to this conclusion of, I believe God's real, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, but it's also that we are allowing God to do something that's unseen but powerful within our lives. It's like he had said last, when we looked at Nicodemus, it, the wind blows where it will. We understand there's a power there. We don't know how it goes or how it starts, but it, it's, it's obvious that there's something there. And, and he's saying, of the Spirit, it's the same way. We don't see it, per se, in this natural world, but we understand there's a dynamic that goes way beyond us, and there's something wondrous in it. The woman says, well, we understand that the Messiah is, is to come. You know, she's, she's grappling with this, and she's saying, well, God has promised a Messiah, and that's what we're looking for. And in that day, they were looking for a world ruler to take over and make everything right governmentally with all that they could see, their known world. And Jesus is making the declaration, I am the Messiah. But obviously, it's coming in a form that they're not ready for. Well, at that moment, the, the disciples come back, and they're shocked that he's talking to a woman. And she leaves her water jug and runs to the village and tells people what's going on and, and goes, could this be the Messiah? He's told me everything about myself. And in some ways, we're going, this story is abbreviated. I'm guessing that there was a lot more conversation. We're getting the high points. But she, she brings a group back, and the disciples are encouraging, okay, we've got food to eat. And he goes, yeah, there's something more important. There's a food that's even more important than what you know. And they're going, who fed you? <laughs> What's going on? They're still thinking in the natural. And he's going, for me to do the will of the one who sent me, that's my food. That's, that's what really gives me life and sustenance. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, he's on this journey. He knows that God's brought him to earth to declare that he's Messiah. But he's, he's concerned enough about an individual that can do nothing for his agenda. It's, <laughs> Char and I, we have some family members that have been married four or five times, several generations worth, actually. There's some baggage, right? That's the reality. But Jesus cares about those with plenty of baggage. He, he's tired. He could have just said, yeah, yeah, it's a shame. I, I, I see that she needs stuff, but I haven't got the energy for this. Nope. He sees this, and he takes advantage of it. And he's saying, this is the thing that really stokes my fire. This is the thing that really drives me. 
If it was driving Jesus, I wonder how much it should drive us. And if Jesus is willing to say, I'm the Messiah, how often are we willing to sit down at the well and say, I know the Messiah. I know the one that can give living water. Or in this particular case, Jesus is going, look, the fields are white under harvest. There's people all around that need this message. And it's the same today. You walk through these passages, and and apparently the, the woman brings back a batch of people. They end up believing. Jesus stays there a couple days, which... Again, he is breaking so many norms to stay in that Samaritan village and eat their food, drink their water, fellowship. I mean, he is breaking paradigms off just one after the other. And yet, when we look at that, we can often just read it on through, and if we're looking at just for a history lesson and in all the nuances, we miss the message that says, there is something of life for us in the Spirit if we'll receive it. There's opportunity not just for a drop of water, but there's opportunity for wells gushing forth. There's an opportunity for new life, and if we receive it, It's from the gift of God, Jesus Christ himself. So when we talk about burial, death, and resurrection, yeah, that's, but where did it take us? Where is it going? It's that we might be born of the Spirit of God, that there might be new life within us, that we might go forward gushing, so to speak. Well, we read that, and it's obvious that we're kind of going, Lord, I want to participate just like this lady wanted to participate. I want you to do what I can't on my own. I want you to bring new life to me. I want you to set me free of the things that are are trapping me. I think that Jesus addressed the five husbands and a, and a lover, of just going, I am not offering you something that's oblivious to your past or your history, but I'm offering something that can overcome your past and your history. I'm offering you something that will set you free. What an amazing thing that is. Lord, I pray that each one here would know new life in you, that they would worship you in spirit and truth, that their minds would be at ease with your truth, that they would have a confidence that you are who you say you are, that they would recognize that you came in the flesh, you lived among us, you died and rose again, proving an unusualness that no one else has done. And then, Lord, I pray, too, that there would be a recognition that your spirit desires to live within even today 
and bring new life in ways that we don't anticipate possible. Let that happen in our midst, I pray. Amen. Your blessing rests on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to have a fountain of life springing up from within them. I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. Enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day.